Hey guys, it's your boy Tim Moen here. Back at you with the Tim Moen show. I'm trying to do these more often, guys. Um, but you know what? It's it's hard to do them by myself. I feel like an idiot. I feel like I'm just talking into space. Like who the hell is even listening to me? Um, so I, I invited my uh, old pal Lisa to join me here to be my partner. Lisa, welcome back to the Tim Moen show. Glad to be here, Tim. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. You could talk me through some of some uh issues okay i i have uh i've set off a bit of a firestorm on on twitter or x or whatever you want to call it these days uh rustled some jimmies as the kids say uh got some got a few people upset and uh that wasn't my intention i was but i i think uh you know my tone was probably probably uh not the most constructive let's put it that way i don't don't think i was insulting but i was pretty blunt and uh not very uh sympathetic to to the the people i was criticizing let's just say that and so let me give you the backstory uh someone tweeted out some someone that's using a, a pseudonym on facebook or, or on twitter which um you know i have mixed feelings about to begin with right if you're uh, hiding behind a pseudonym i don't know how seriously i could take you but um the guy's got a pretty big following and he tweeted out uh, something um that that I disagreed with. And he said that the number one political issue right now is mass migration. And I, I retweeted him and, and made the comment that no, the most important uh, political issue right now is statism. And, um, you know, the fact that right wing populists um, keep begging the state to solve their problems is why we can't have nice things right now. All right. And that, that set off a firestorm. I, I, I rustled this kid's jimmies. He said, you used to be, I used to think you were cool when I was 20. And uh, some other kid chimes in, um, shut up, stupid, called me a cock, called me, you know, they, they got very upset by this. And, you know, that's, that's fine. <laughs> they could be upset. Uh, you know, I, I was hoping to have more of a constructive conversation about it. I didn't want to upset populists here because I think they're mostly on the right track. Um, but it does irritate me that that they miss the most important political issue of our time, which is what I kind of wanted to talk to you about and see if I could figure out how to convey this. Because for, for my audience out there, Lisa, Lisa is, you know, she she's kind of a normie in a, in a way. Right. Like you're, you're just I, I don't see you as being um, obsessed by the political social media sphere like some of us are right like these guys i was interacting with on twitter uh like i do you know spend my days thinking about politics i'm kind of you know obsessed with it i see where the world lisa is just kind of a normal person she does her life and you know she's nice she has a political point of view and, and i think one time you described yourself as a, a conservative hippie or something like that i thought yeah. that that's pretty cool you're you're you know, kind of come from, uh, have a conservative bent, you, you're a rancher, you're, you know, believe in family values, all those kinds of things. Um, and so I thought it would be good to have someone who, who isn't like fully immersed in this toxic hellhole of a sphere <laughs> on social media to help kind of set me straight, maybe point me on a path here, help me communicate my message a little bit better, more, um, uh, more productively. So that's, that's why, by the way, I met Lisa, politically because you you and I were both kind of working uh, for a, a mutual friend of ours Tanny Yao on his campaign he's a conservative UCP guy 
um, and and he was running for office for the first time, didn't know how to do it. So, uh, you know, we were helping him out, and he he won, and uh, that's how how we first got introduced to each other. And by the way, I got to say, uh, Tanny, uh, I really appreciate <laughs> that he he actually introduced one of the most libertarian things I've seen our government uh, pieces of legislation that I've seen come out of our government over the past decade, maybe even, and that is. Um, he legalized the ability for you to to sell your blood, and um, you know that that's an important topic for an important piece of legislation for a number of reasons. One is it's my blood. I sh whatever I do for free with it, I should be able to do for pay with it. Obviously, I own my body. I own this. I should be able to do what I want with it. But also, we we get the majority of our blood from the US where they pay people to pay. The reason we get it from the US is because they pay people down there for their blood and they have an abundance of it. Whereas we didn't have that up here. We, they, they said, if you, if you don't give it as a gift, we don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. And so we have, uh, a, you know, a, uh, huge shortage of, of plasma and blood products in, in Canada and in Alberta. And so this this legislation now allows me to sell my blood. And in fact, I looked up looked it up the other day, and you can make several hundred dollars, like I think up to six or eight hundred dollars a month, selling your blood plasma, um, and benefiting people who could use that stuff. So it's actually, you know, as the word gets out, I suspect we're going to have a glut of blood out there for, uh, you know, and it's not just. Uh, it's not just good for vampires like me. It's funny because one of these kids that, that got their jimmies rustled uh, took my my uh, my uh, Twitter uh, banner. I had a picture of me kind of standing in in Parliament, just whatever. It, it was so I forgot I even had this, but until he he uh, photoshopped the picture and put a vampire's face on my face, and uh, yeah, I guess his he thinks I look like a vampire, which is a fair assessment. I, I kind of do in certain angles. Um, well, you should be that. That's a huge compliment because if you look at vampire movies and stuff, like aren't the vampires always hot? So, well, yeah, I mean, this vampire wasn't super hot, it was a, like a cartoon Dracula type thing, mm -hmm. but I thought it looked kind of cool. And so, I actually took his the banner that he photoshopped and added the Tim Mullen show uh words to it, and I put that up as my new banner because I think it looks pretty, pretty cool. Now he's demanding I pay him for his work, but uh, you know course he's anonymous so i i wouldn't know where to send the check and i doubt he'll have the courage to to stand behind his identity because then you'd have to actually um you know have be oh, responsible for his temper tantrums and stuff anyways i digress but, but I, I mean all that was to explain why i had lisa here how we came to be and why i value her opinion so um well do, first of all do you have any comments about what i've said so far no, right now, I just, I can't wait to see how oh. this goes. So I have to All laugh because right. I asked him, I'm like, so what is the most important political issue? Are you going to let me know in advance? And he said no. So I was like, well, oh, and, and in <laughs> fairness, oh, if, if like, I told you what it was, it would have required a dissertation to explain what mm -hmm. it was, which is part of the problem. It's, it's a difficult. I was going to say, I think that's problem number one, Tim. Yeah, that's probably problem number one. So the, the biggest political problem, the, the number one, Thing. And this isn't to say that anything the populists protest against and complain about aren't problems. They're huge problems, but they all stem from one place, and that is statism. Statism is the belief 
that we need uh, a group of criminals to impose their will on people. And, and that's how we organize society, you know, and, and the state is a, it's an organization. Um, I mean, this is just looking at objective facts, right? We, we, it's an organization that comes into being through conquest and plunder, and that's how it maintains itself. It can only maintain itself through violating the very things that it, uh, it, it says it's protecting us from, you know, murder, theft, uh, assault, uh, kidnapping, imprisonment, all these things that we're not allowed to do. The state does with impunity, you know, taxation is taking money without consent from us. That, that's my property. The state takes it from me without consent. It, it, and it's not just, um, it doesn't just deal it behind my back. It actually says, look, if you don't hand this money over, there's going to be consequences. If I defend myself from those consequences, guns come out. So it's, it's, morally equivalent to armed robbery. Uh, the state violates our, our borders. It violates our property borders um, in a myriad of ways. It, it you know, um, makes our kids do compulsory state education. It uh, uh, tells us we can't have lawn darts or baby walkers, what kind of products we can have, how we can build our homes, how we uh, you know, it takes the money off our family's table, takes food literally off our family's table, tells us we have to use um, the currency that they, they create, that they then, you know, uh, devalue and enrich their oligarchy, oligarchical friends with. Um, the list goes on and on. It also, Lisa, forces us into association with people that are, by all intents and purposes, our enemies, people that would just as soon see us destroyed. You know, there, there are people on the left that would prefer people like you and I don't even exist. And they would, uh, if not outright kill us, they'd at least marginalize us into, uh, in, into oblivion, right? They, they would make it impossible for us to engage in commerce by confiscating our bank accounts and, and making us, you know, and this is happening in some places already. So, so it forces us into association with these people. And so, and, and that, I, I believe, is why um, populists are so concerned about mass migration, and rightly so. It's that we have a, a, a wave of people coming here that don't necessarily share our values, that are maybe have values that are completely antithetical to us, that are maybe even um, enemies of us, that would prefer to see us destroyed. By the, so the state forces us into association with this. So my point is, look, um, you can't expect this organization that forces us into association with people that that hate us, with people that we don't agree with, with people that have a different vision of life than us, and expect that, and that constantly exists to uh, um, open up our borders, to violate our borders. You can't expect that organization to suddenly care about borders and... Um, forced association. I mean, that's literally what the state does. So, so I'm going to interrupt yeah. you for a second. Can right. you give an example for the non-political mind? Yes, but yes, you, please. You know, uh, which is funny because just to talk about Tony Yao for a second, when he asked me to be his campaign manager, I'm like, you know, I don't even watch the news, right? So, right. <laughs> but we still won. So that was good. We but, still won. Um, so what, and, and this is one thing that I want to see out of politics do more of, is we use 
big words and we talk about grand sweeping gestures and things like that. But the average everyday normie like me yeah. has a hard time comprehending things. So when they yeah. talk about, you know, rolling out the budget and stuff, I'm like, well, can you put it as an average housewife's budget and make those decisions, you know, like bust it down into some small infographic that's quick and easy to digest and make it easy for people to see it in their own lives. And so when you're talking about statism, how is it that you can give an example of what this looks like if it was a normal person's relationship with another person so that they could see just how fucking ridiculous right. it is? Are you able to do that? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, well, and that's just it, right? It's remembering, first of all, that the state is comprised of individuals like you and me, flesh and blood people. And so, um, so yeah, well, let's use the um, Israel Hamas example right now, right? Or, or Palestine and try to, like, here's how I try to analyze it as a libertarian who looks at things through an objective lens, who, who cuts through the matrix of this is some kind of nation state and this is kind of some kind of nation state we don't you know however you define it and just just look at what individual people are doing on the ground first of all hamas um did something horribly horrific and immoral right so here are some individuals cutting off babies heads doing horrific things for these people and now um there there's a right to retaliation there's a right to um and a right to protect yourself from these monsters that have done that Okay. Now, if you or I had something like this happen to our family, where a bad guy, a horrific terrorist came into our home, slaughtered our family in the most horrific way, desecrated their bodies, did all sorts of things. Uh, of course, we have the right to protect ourselves from that. Of course, we have the right to retaliate, wipe that person off the face of the earth. Um, do we have the right to firebomb his neighborhood to get him, for example, and kill a bunch of other women, children, other things. Well, probably not. But you could think of examples where maybe, maybe that would be okay. For example, if everyone in the neighborhood agreed with and supported what he did, if everyone in the neighborhood demanded that he come and do that to my family, then okay, they're kind of culp culprits in that crime, right? They're associates in that crime. So that's how I think about about these things. Now, I don't have a, a clear answer on the Israel-Palestine thing because I don't know all the details. I don't know what those people that are getting bombed by Israel um, had to do with the attack on those innocent lives, right? Um, so you're not just believing everything that's coming out of the news and taking it as possible? <laughs> well, no, of course. And, 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 of course, the thing to remember, too, is you know, once you see, once you look at and understand just by acknowledging basic rea reality, just by coldly observing objective facts, right? Removing emotion from this and looking at things. The state, like I said, it exists by plundering us. First of all, it taxes us, it steals from us to maintain its existence. Um, it has borders that it defines, right? So Canada that everyone's so patriotic about is basically, uh, for all intents and purposes, a, a slave plantation, you know, think, you can think of it that way. Right. And so, I, I mean, if 50% yeah, of our, our labor is owned by the state, and that's about how much we're taxed when you add them all up, 
um, then we're at least 50% slave. Now we're fair, in terms of slave plantations, it's a pretty good one. We are, we're, we're free run slaves in a sense, because, you know, we have a lot of freedoms. The master master grants us, you know, uh, and you know, that's, that's good. So compared to other plantations, you know, we can be raw, raw, patriotic. Our, our plantation is the best in a lot of ways. Uh, but let's not forget that it, it's a plantation. And so, so when we look at things like immigration, what is that? Okay, well, it's basically other slaves come into our plantation because it's a better plantation. Now, as a fellow slave, I'll look at that and say, these people are going to make the plantation terrible. They're going to, you know, the, and of course, as the plantation master, I love this because I would much rather see the slaves fighting amongst themselves than focusing their attention and unifying against me and noticing that they're on a goddamn plantation, right? <laughs> And so, of course, they want division and they want. So, you know, the idea that this, the, the master of this plantation is going to want things that are in our best interest, to me, is a ridiculously naive notion. Um, it, it, it can't. I mean, it, it's going to want to keep us healthy and productive to the degree that it can harvest our tax. Right. You know, we're tax livestock. You know, as a rancher, Lisa, you want your cattle to be healthy, you know, have a wonderful life so that you can harvest the most you can off of them. Absolutely. But make no mistake, that cow is on a ranch and it's going to get harvested. Right. Well, it's the same with us. So, you know, this idea. So I don't know if that. that, that you did very good on that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so all these issues that, um, that, you know, it, it's, it is an issue. Look, when other slaves mass migrate here to, for a better plantation, uh, life is likely to get worse for us slaves. The conditions are going to get worse for us. Master's not, it's not going to be matter to the master, but it will matter to us. And so I get why people are upset by mass migration. In fact, you know, and, and this is just, goes to show you the mindset here of how um, how binary or how you know, like the political thing is like there's the right and the left and there's no third way right it's like if I say uh, mass migration isn't our biggest concern they just assume I'm an open borders guy I just want every let everyone in right when in fact my platform in the last election was very restrictive on immigration um, but the difference with me is that I tried to get the state out of immigration altogether because I see immigration, I, I see the state as the problem here, right? Mm. It's forcing me into association with these people. That's the problem. The problem is the master and this goddamn plantation. It's not these people necessarily. It's the fact that I have to be now in association with them. And that's why why people care when someone moves 20 miles across an imaginary line, 2,000 miles away from them across Roxham Road over in Quebec, they, they don't care whether they move 20 miles in the other direction. They care whether they move 20 miles in this direction because now we're forced into association with them. And it's the forced association that is the issue, not that person moving 20 miles one direction or another. And and so um, so so my, uh, my solution is this. Look, ideally, Lisa, I'm an anarchist. I think the state is... Uh, a horrific 
politically violent and and morally repugnant institution. And I think in 200 or 400 years, we'll be looking back at, at the state as a, in the same way we look back at slavery or human sacrifice or something. It was just a dark period in our history. We didn't know better. And, you know, we, we gained some moral insight over time you know, like Martin Luther King, the arc of the uh, of the moral universe bends towards justice. And over time, we make moral discoveries. I think eventually we're going to realize the state's immoral. And we're going to look back. We're not there yet. Um, but, uh, you know, so so that that is the, the main problem. So here's how I dealt with that. I'm like, OK, yes, having more. So what we want to do is get power into the individuals, to the people rather than the state. And so I say, OK, how about we do a... Um, a uh, sponsorship only immigration policy. In other words, and only by individual Canadians, not by limited liability corporations or corporations or any of these uh, statist entities. I mean, they're basically creations of the state. They're given monopoly privileges by the state, all these things. No, we're not allowing those people to sponsor them. You and I, Lisa, can sponsor an immigrant if we want. Now, the caveat is I'm responsible financially and I'm taking on criminal liability for that person. In other words, if that person is an enemy of the people that live in this territory, uh, in this nation, and they do bad things and they do criminal activities, I have some liability there. I'm responsible for whatever, deporting them. You know, I, I, I have to bear some responsibility. Exactly what that looked like, I don't know. But I trust that you would do a much better job of vetting someone than the government would, right? So uh, Maxime Bernier has, uh, you know, is a popular kind of populist party leader. And he rightly points out mass migration is a problem. His solution, though, is statist. He says, uh, here's an arbitrary number uh, that limits the number of 100,000 people, no more than that. So, you know, my son needs a neurosurgeon and the 100,000 and one and he's the 100,000 and one person. He can't immigrate here. Uh, too bad. We've we've <laughs> we've capped out on yeah. on the quota right and likewise he says we'll do a values test right and, and now the, the ironic thing here is that he rightfully criticized kelly leach when during the conservative party uh leadership race when she proposed a values test for immigrants and he said oh that's so trumpian and that's not very canadian and so somehow he changed his mind now he likes the values test but imagine a values test i mean it, it's gonna look something like this. Imagine I'm Hamas or something like that. And I want to immigrate to Canada. And my value is I want to behead innocent babies for jihad or something like that. that's my value. And now I'm confronted with this values test. Oh, shit. What am I going to do? The first question <laughs> is age 28 <laughs> prospective citizen. Do you value a freedom or B beheading innocent babies for jihad? <laughs> what are you going to answer? On that question, Lisa, if you're a terrorist, you're going to answer freedom. You're not going to. You're not going to I mean, it's so easy to, to game a, 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 one of these things. And of course, the government is going to administer it. And of course, government is incompetent um, because they, they have no ownership. They have no skin in the game. They don't suffer negative repercussions from doing a bad job. Um, and so so, you know, that that immigration is not going to be better. And the other thing it does that it's saying that the state ought to be involved in immigration is now when your ideological enemies, the left gets it, they're going to say, well, the state is involved in, you know, sets immigration. So we're going to open up the floodgates and let everyone in. So you've, you know, 
the way I look at it, Lisa, all these problems, mass migration, we'll get into some other ones like globalism and, and wokeism and trans ideology and all this stuff. But all those, all those kind of rotten branches emerge from the root, which is statism. So what happens here is people are trying to cut off these branches while at the same time watering the root of this and, and fertilizing the root of, of the problem. And um, I don't, so do you have any comments about what I just said? Okay, well, I love the visual of yeah. cutting off the branches and still watering the root. Um, and even the fact of like, okay, you, you, you have to be the sponsor, the individual sponsor. What are some other issues? Well, you said we'd talk about other issues because I was yeah. going to be like, okay, what about other issues where individuals could be more involved, take more responsibility, be able to lessen the impact of statism or, or stop watering the roots in that way? Sure. Okay, let's let's save that for the end. How can we address the problem of statism? Let's deal with it at the end. But, but right now, I just really want to make the case that let's recognize the most important problem here. The, the root of all these problems that populists care about. And populists, I'm saying this with love, you guys are, have come so far in the last two or three years. I mean, I think Justin Trudeau and the government has done more work to, to uh, provide, uh, to make libertarians than, um, than, than I could ever do, right? Um, hold on, Lisa, my dog has gotten into some shit here and I have to clean up a mess. I'm just gonna pause this right back. <laughs> All right, we're back. My dog, I thought he had ripped apart one of my wife's pillows because I just saw a big mass of like fuzz and uh, garbage over there. There's a huge pile. But what he did was he got into the garbage and pulled out a bunch of dryer lint and fuzz and like oh, nice. scattered it all over the place. That's better than your wife's pillow. Yes. Yes. I breathe a sigh of relief there. Jeez, that would have been nasty. I would have needed the government's protection. I don't think one time I... <laughs> I might have actually asked for the state to help me. Um, okay, where, where were we? We were talking about, um, oh, yeah, the, the number one issue, right, is statism. And um, so let's go through some of the other issues that, that populists care about that are, that are very good issues. And again, I say this with all love to populists because they were out there pro protesting for our freedoms. They were out there on the front lines, they were doing all sorts of things and they've come so far, right? And they're almost there. And I just wanna push them over the edge so that they're not kicking themselves in the nuts here. Like this is something that conservatives tend to do, right? Is they, they plant the seeds of their own destruction. So for example, they value the family and they value tradition and they and then they implement government programs and they say, oh, you got to get a marriage license and the, the government controls marriage and make sure that it's all up and up and that matches conservative values. And it's no coincidence that, um, you know, we have the highest divorce rate ever, that families are broken apart. Once you get the government involved, you, you're handing a cudgel to your ideological enemy then to use it and, and you know, family law and all these things have... Uh, have destroyed families. You know, getting the government involved in the family has not helped. Um, you know, protecting us from terrorists, right? Waging a war on terrorism. You know, right now, um, I don't know about you, but it, it's very feels very similar in terms of the attitude right after 9-11 happened, right? And there's just a bloodlust and people were shocked and dismayed and appalled and demanding the government do something and wage war and get back at these people. And next thing you know, 
Um, the Western world is in Iraq and Afghanistan and Middle East and creating more problems, creating more terrorists than they, they killed, right? And, and now we're seeing that with Israel and Hamas, that the absolute visceral and heart-wrenching and anger and, and frustration that Israel and the Western world is reacting from is likely to backfire, you know, and even potentially launch us into World War III. You know, the, the more brutal Israel is in its retaliation, the more terrorists, jihadists are formed and the more um, these Islamic states want to get involved in uh, protecting uh, innocence from, from the onslaught. And so, you know, so my point is conservatives have great values, they, but they, the problem is that government always corrupts those values when they ask the government to protect or preserve or um, promote conservative values. Almost always, without fail, things get worse. Drug war, right? Drug addiction is horrible, uh, decimates communities. So what do we do? We implement a suite of policies that launch fentanyl to the forefront. Um, and I mean, I could talk, do a whole episode on what those policies are, because I'm on the front line of that every single day. And I've seen it evolve over time in my career, um, how how it's become a huge problem. And, it, and these problems almost always coincide with new legislation or new policies that are brought into place to try to stop uh, the problem of drugs. And they are actually making everything worse. So all these things. Okay. So now let's go through some of the things. So we talked about immigration and I'm, I tried to make a case as to why asking the state to solve the problem of mass migration is likely to backfire. And it's already backfired, right? I mean, you know, uh, coupled with our foreign policy of destabilizing stabilizing the Middle East and, um, you know, uh, three-letter agencies like the CIA and all these uh, these agencies that are supposed to protect, um, that are supposed to protect us getting involved in um, destabilizing like socialist countries or, or destabilizing other countries and installing socialist leaders and creating, I mean, they create waves of migrants that are fleeing uh, the, de the the instability and the uh, horror uh, that their plantations, yeah, their plantations that we that our slave masters had a hand in making even worse, right? Um, so, so I, I try to make that case for immigration, but but let me just ex talk about some other things that I see that that worry me a little bit. So, uh, you know, Bernier, for example, and a lot of people say that that climate policy is immoral because there's no climate emergency, right? Now, that doesn't sound too bad. That's 50% right. I mean, you could have stopped that climate policy is immoral. All right, that, that's enough. But that you add because there's no climate emergency implies that if there was a climate emergency or some kind of a real emergency, then we need the government to get involved. No, 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 no. We, we need freedom fighters that say uh, climate policy is immoral, period, full stop. And if there was a climate emergency coming, it would be even worse because the government only makes problems worse. It doesn't make it better. So we, we would need a system of property rights and a, a way to resolve disputes that gets the government out of it, that, that we could then hold polluters to account or something like that. But th they're demanding big... They seem to agree with the left that, yeah, of course, government would 
need to get involved if there was a climate emergency. But guys, there's no climate emergency, therefore we don't need it. All right, uh, I, I see the same sort of thinking when it comes to uh, public health or pandemics, right? Uh, every Everyone who is, most of the people who are marching are marching because they, they think the vaccines are dangerous or because, um, you know, uh, COVID was a hoax. Um, and they may, they, they're probably right about a lot of that. Uh, but that's not why public policy like lockdowns and mass mandates and vaccine mandates were immoral. They were immoral full stop. They were immoral. And, and you really need to understand this populace and understand why. And if you don't, you're not helping. The reason they're immoral, um, they'd be immoral even if the the virus was 100% fatal, even if the vaccine was 100% safe and effective, uh, even if, um, you know, lockdowns worked uh, to, to stop the spread and, and mass. Yeah, even, even if all those things were 100% true, even if everything the establishment media says is true, all these things are still immoral. And they're immoral because they violate individual rights. They grant one group the right to point guns at another group. Um, and of course, it, it doesn't work, right? That doesn't work. And that's why government policy hardly ever works. Because as Ayn Rand once said, uh, what is moral is also pragmatic. So if you stick to principle, uh, usually that works out for the best, you know? So um, yeah, oh, some another example is has to do with wokeism. I see a lot of populists cheer when governments implement a policy that that goes that um, abolishes, uh, you know, so-called trans rights or something, right? So, for example, in Saskatchewan, we just saw uh, the government there in, introduce legislation that makes it illegal or something like that for for teachers to keep secrets from parents about their kids uh, sexual expression or gender expression in school. So teachers are now forced to tell parents if their kid starts using a different pronoun or something like that. But, and so a lot of populists will cheer this. And, and frankly, I, I like the policy too. Like I would never send my kid to a school where the teacher kept secrets like that from me um, or tried to subvert my kids. But the problem is that the policy does nothing to address the problem that a government schools are there to indoctrinate your kids, to warp their minds and always will be, and can't be reformed. The teachers are come from leftist institutions. So, you know, you can put, I mean, it's almost like, um, conservatives or populists want to put these teachers into like a robot armor that they control, right? Like we're going to control it, make the teacher do what we want. We're, we're not going to let them rely on their judgment or their experience to, to make the best decision given the context of that individual situation. We want a, a cudgel. We want a one top down, one rule for all. Don't use your <laughs> clinical judgment or, you know, and I don't think that's what anyone wants. And, and by the way, this isn't really even solving a problem, is it? Because the people that are concerned about teachers keeping secrets about gender pronouns from them um, are very unlikely to have kids that are going to use uh, uh, 
gender pronouns are, you know, identify as trans in the school. They come from conservative families who are raised in good family values. They're likely not to be as confused as, say, kids who are raised by maybe single moms or, or by leftists who. So what are you going to do about the families that these kids come from? And, and those families where kids are identifying, I mean, they're not likely to care about whether the teacher keeps a secret or not. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they, in fact, they might embrace it. And, you know, in certain circumstances, like for example, if, if my kid was having, was struggling uh, ment with mental health and needed to go to a therapist, I would hope that therapist would create a, a I don't know, a, an environment of trust with the child and, and use their discretion about how much of that therapy session they tell me about, right. Uh, in order to maintain some trust with that child and get them to open up and get them to uh, get to the root of the problem. And, and so I want to defer to the experts. If I'm, if I'm uh, in a libertarian society and I'm sending my kids to a school, I don't want to control what that teacher's doing because I'm sending them to a school uh, specifically for that teacher's expertise. Otherwise I do it myself. I'd be homeschooling. Um, so I don't want a government telling teachers what to do. And so now what you've said is, okay, the government plays a role and it is, it, it's the role of government is to control what our kids learn and, and, the, and to, um, to be the mediator between the, the teacher and the child between that relationship. That's the government's job is to do that. Well, I don't think that's really what populists want. I don't think that is ultimately what you want guys. Um, I, I think what you should be arguing for is not how the government should properly control schools. It should be for the abolition of state and education. They don't go together. It's wild. So march in the streets for that. Don't march for, for <laughs> uh, better government. There's no such thing. Can you think of a time yes. where government made things better? Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm struggling here. I, there's got to be a time when it, even by accident, made things better, right? Accidentally made things better. And I'm trying to think about it because, I, I mean, in my life, I can't think of anything in my personal life, in my life experience, where government has made anything better. Now, if I uh, maybe go back in time and believe, believe like the myth, myths that historians teach, right? Uh, the victors always write the history. Well, then, um, you know, you, you might make an argument for, say, the civil rights movement in America, but that seems to be falling apart now. It seems to have worked for a little while but now it, it's been twisted and turned on its head. And, and so, um, and, and, you know, it accelerated what was naturally happening anyways, desegregation, all those kinds of things were happening. Racism was going away because of market interactions. You know, people are, even racist people are more interested in making money than they are in harboring hate, right? And so in the process of making money, they realize, oh, these people aren't as, aren't what I thought they were. And they start to disabuse some of their racist notions. So, I, I mean, I guess you could make an argument, an argument for that, but, I, and again, now, now we're seeing it twisted, turned on its head. Um, you know, uh, 
we've created a giant race war now and that a lot of that has its roots in uh, the civil rights movement um which basically has said that rights come from the government and um and therefore we're handing out rights to people based on um you know racial characteristics or something like that uh another another area where you might argue that um that government <laughs> helped was in cleaning up the mess that it made in World War One, uh, and and um, you know taking out Hitler in World War Two or something like that. But again, you know that ignores the fact that you know the Treaty of Versailles and all the insane things that that were foisted on the German people by other governments uh, around them. Um, set this set the stage for a guy like Hitler to come into power um who was going to fix all these problems and and return Germ Germany to its might and uh overturn the the draconian Versailles sanctions and those kinds of things so at best World War II was was a um just cleaning up mess so maybe it cleaned up the mess there I I, I I'm out. maybe you could think of some things I, I can't. I, I was like, because I had a friend the other day that was like, aren't you excited that the government recently promised $165 million split between federal and provincial money to go towards ranchers that have had this trouble with the drought and rising feed costs and that kind of thing to support and stabilize our food industry. Right. So you can get up to $150 sure. or whatever for to make up the difference. And they're like, aren't you glad the government supported you that way? Well, not fucking really, because now right. you just drop the cattle market by $150 an animal and increased feed costs by $150 right. an animal. So the rancher you were protecting now lost $300 at least. You, you know what I mean? So right. well, I just ask just in case you had a good example. And I, I mean, I, I suspect if you look at the root of why it's so hard to make it as a rancher and why you might need a government program like this. There's some government involved in the root of the problem there as well. Right. I mean, we know that that's supply management and all these different things raises price on consumers, hampers people from being able to, to produce milk themselves and, and engage in different types of market uh, for say raw milk or different things like that. Um, Harry Brown, uh, a famous libertarian uh, back in the day used to say, uh, the government is good at breaking your legs and then offering you a crutch and, you know, kind of demanding um, praise for its beneficence. Right. Um, and that's typically what all these things are doing. And, and I mean, we, we could talk about that all the way down. Like, you know, even with the immigration here, it's it is broken your legs uh, by importing mass migrants. And now it's offered a crutch. You know, it, it's it, it's to get you hooked on. Uh, it's to create kind of a Stockholm syndrome of, of mm -hmm. sorts of like, yeah, I need this crutch because you broke my leg. So I guess thanks. Um, but what you've done in accepting that crutch and what you've done by asking for that crutch is to um, ensure that that leg breaker remains your overseer forever, right? You're like, yeah, I need government because who else is going to fix my broken legs? They they have a, they literally have a monopoly in Canada on healthcare. <laughs> They're the only ones that can fix my legs, right? <laughs> True. So yeah, absolutely. So uh, have have I 
have I, so, so yes. So to bring it back full circle again, the, the, the issue is the state, right. And, and, you know, I could see this play out in all sorts of areas, like even when it comes to big tech and giant corporations, right. And, and a lot of populists rightly point at, at giant corporations as not having their best interests at heart. Well, why is it that they don't have your best interests at heart? It's because they can increase their profit margins and improve their, and, and, um, by lobbying government, by getting in bed with government, by creating a suite of regulations that ensures they maintain a monopoly and crush the competition. And this is how all corporations that make that are successful work. And in fact, if you're a CEO of one of these corporations, it's literally your fiduciary duty. It's your legal duty to maximize shareholder profits. And when you know that going to lobby in the nation's capital can increase, increase your shareholder or your stock value by by 400% for every dollar you spend, it, you get a 400% rate of return. Uh, well, you are not doing your job if you don't lobby government. And and so, but the problem isn't that the corporations are lobbying the government. The problem is that we have that government there to begin with that creates the game that w which these guys are doing a magnificent job of playing. And and we see it with, with tech companies like Google, Facebook, all, all these pl places that, um, have a monopoly in a sense or an oligopoly they don't have a strict monopoly but they it's very difficult for others to start up competitors because of a lot of reasons one is uh, all the regulation around how these the companies operate uh, what kind of language is allowed and of course that regulation is only increasing in canada uh, podcasts are now re required to like submit report to the government or something like that if they're over a certain size uh, you can see government further encroaching on this but also ip and intellectual property which is just another which is a a, a false name because it, it's actually intellectual monopoly and it allows a corporation to operate without any competition for 17 years say because they came up with the idea first i started that pizza pizza company first or that pizza restaurant first Therefore, no one else can have a pizza company in my town for 17 years because otherwise, what incentive do I have to start? If there's competition, what incentive? Well, all these, uh, this IP regime ingrained. So as a libertarian, we can see all the ways in which statism creates this monster, creates these giant corporations that don't have our best interests at heart. Um, and from there, and, and now another thing that I didn't touch on was globalism, mm. a huge thing that uh, the populace likes to like to complain about is globalism and globalism is this idea that there are some elites in the world the Klaus Schwab's the the, the Rothschild's um, Bill Gates um, these big organizations like the World Economic Forum the UN and its agenda 2030 or 20 agenda 21 I think was the old one um, you know they, they have these giant plans to essentially try to govern the world um in a unified way right to insert their their control over our sovereign territory over canada's sovereign territory uh 15 minute cities carbon emissions uh you know you go down the list how, how communities are organized and what values they're organized around all these things come out of a playbook produced by some of these organizations yeah it's it's nefarious it's bad intent and it's only possible if we have a government uh a national government right because how close schwab doesn't have any guns 
He can't impose any of this stuff on us. So who imposes it on us? It's the policeman down the street who is give, given orders by uh, our politicians that, imp that imposes it on us, right? So what we need is not to have that mechanism of control so that globalists, I, I mean, so now when I read UN Agenda 21, if I'm in a libertarian society, I'm like, well, that's an interesting gardening manual, but uh, I don't think I need it, you know? <laughs> I, throw it away. I, don't, I don't care what their intentions are. They don't have an army. They're not going to invade me. And there's no mechanism of control around me that is going to impose their their wishes for prestige or kickbacks or whatever that the the globalist cabal uh, offers our politicians. Um, so again, everything comes back to the state, Lisa, and the state is supported by statism, and that's a widespread belief in the people that. Um, government is needed to solve problems and we see it everywhere and my my hope is that i can convince populists to disabuse statism and say look the government isn't the isn't the solution it's the problem in every, it's the root of the problem of everything i care about everything that i'm worried about from adrenochrome pedophiles to uh immigration to to um, climate policy to to uh pandemics all these things um the problems flows from the state. And so the state needs to be at least restrained. I mean, I, I would like to take it further, but, you know, uh, but I realize that's not realistic and it's probably not even um, warranted. I mean, the ideal solution for me would to be over a series of decades, um, gradually dissemble these instruments of control over us in a way that doesn't leave people behind and different things like that. Um, you, you can't just snap your fingers and wish it gone. Although Murray Rothbard said that would probably be the best. Maybe he was right, but uh, I think it'd be good to do it in a, in a organized fashion and maybe just start with the latest law, repeal that and work our way all the way back to the beginning and, and just keep doing that until we something like that. But okay, go ahead. Sorry. Any questions? So what does the, the average person do then? Keeping right. in mind that humans are inherently lazy and we like to abdicate responsibility to others rather than taking personal responsibility for anything. Yeah, it, it's a serious issue. I mean, there's that that meme that's been floating around for years of, uh, you know, hard, hard men create good times, good times create uh, weak men, weak men create hard times and the cycle continues. Right. And and it's and it's every parent's kind of. um issue too right because it's like some of the people who are the most successful that i know have had horrific childhoods they've had had to really struggle and they've learned a certain resilience and toughness and discipline by coming out of those environments in order to survive now you know i think the majority of kids in those environments end up the opposite way but and, and so i i never want to submit my subject my kids to a horrific childhood though right i wanted things to be easier for them than it was for me but then that creates the condition of well what kind of people are they going to be if they've never had to struggle for anything and so i think what we have to do as parents is what we have to do also for ourselves and that's implement some form of uh, hardship might be the wrong word but but yeah I, we have to create some resistance we have to create challenge for ourselves we have to get out of our comfort zone and now purposefully make life more more uncomfortable for ourselves by what it you know going to the gym uh eating 
uh, a diet, um, having a difficult conversation that we don't want to have, um, you know, taking a pay cut so that we can homeschool our kids or going down to one, uh, one income so we can homeschool our kids. Like we, we have to make sacrifices and, and hardships for a better future and, and for things. And, and the more, the degree to which we take personal responsibility is the degree to which we have more liberty in our own lives. And, and so, you know, to me, I think that the, the answer is, is not in necessarily convincing more people to become libertarians, even though that's what I'm kind of trying to do here on this podcast. Um, and that's what I've done my whole political career is try to make more libertarians. Um, I think the, the answer beyond that is take personal responsibility. Once you accept my premise that the state is an evil organization, um, we stop relying on evil organizations and start taking more responsibility in our own lives for our issues. Instead of calling the government, when we have a problem, we deal with it ourselves. We work it out ourselves. Right. I, I mean, in my profession, I, I always joke to my partners you know, as, as a firefighter, EMT, a paramedic, I, I always joke when we get a, a call, it's like, oh, okay, they're calling the government again. And, you know, a lot of these problems they're calling us for could be very easily solved themselves if they took some personal responsibility and looked up some information, uh, talked to someone like, but because everything's free for them, they're like, well, I don't have to, you know, make myself uncomfortable or worry about this. There's a government program for that. We see it all the time. Our, my neighbor falls on hard times. There's a government program for that. I don't have to worry myself about that. Mm -hmm. uh, little girl goes missing or whatever. There's, you know, I, I don't have to worry about that. The government will figure it out. You know, we, we, we are so enculturated to disabuse ourselves of personal responsibility and just rely on the government for everything that, of course, it's a giant megalith. So what we have to do as individuals is take back the power uh, take back the personal responsibility ourselves and try to convince more and more people to do the same. And that might not be enough. In fact, it, it probably won't be. I mean, uh, people are just, just follow their incentives. They're self-interested and they're never going to do something that, you know, it, it goes against their self-interest. So government's likely to continue to grow. And, and then, uh, you know, at some point, everything's going to collapse. Things are going to get hard. I, I think um, we may be in for some tough years here. I think we might be just at the start of a recession it's going to be life is going to be difficult and hey we're going to have to we're going to be forced to take personal responsibility and people can do it and then what we have to do is not ask the government, government to bail us out in the end when things start to get better and say hey we need you to make sure this never happens again that's why it happened i mean government is why we're going into a recession it, it locked down the economy it printed up uh, you know scads of money um and that is a recipe for disaster and recession and, and asking the government then to fix that problem, to give us crutches now that it broke our legs is the wrong approach. So what's one way that you think that people could start taking baby steps towards personal responsibility? Do you have any pointers? Sure, sure. Well, the first thing you can do is um, when you wake up in the morning, uh, don't immediately go go to social media and get out of bed on the wrong side and have a bad mood, right? The first thing you can do is take control over your thoughts and wake up with intention and think of things you can be grateful for. I actually got this from um, 
a former Navy SEAL, Mark Divide, who said the most, one of the biggest tips he can give someone, because he said the difference between someone who's successful in, in a Navy, getting into Navy SEALs and someone who's an unsuccessful isn't their physical capability. They're all uh, physical studs. The difference is the mindset. And the number one mindset is, uh, is gratitude. Like, so wake up in the morning, drink a cold glass of water and think of all the things that you're grateful for while you're guzzling that water down and hydrating your cells, visualize your cells bursting with, uh, fullness and engaging in their environment and feel yourself doing the same thing. So it's all about mindset. It's about, um, not getting drugged down into and being controlled by fear, anxiety, all these negative emotions. It's about purposely cultivating a positive mindset that no matter how things go external to me, I can't control what the government does. I can't control what my boss is doing. I can't control my neighbors are doing. You know, I, I do this every day when I go to work because I work for the government. I'm a firefighter paramedic, right? We got treated like uh, extensions of will. I mean, we're literally, you know, like I was telling you about those teachers that are just going to be automatons by the end of government control. That's That's how we are. We follow a set thing. We can't deviate. Um, it, it's it's insulting. It's humiliating. It's um, dehumanizing the way we are treated at work. So, but yet I still have fun at work. I still have joy at work because I make that my intention. I make it purposeful. I'm like, how are we going to have fun? And I and then I talk to my partners and my my crew about that. How are we going to make this shift awesome despite? Uh, the government bending us over and ass raping us today. Hey, 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 Lisa, you can't get raped if you enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? And so it's a little trick I learned from a guy going into prison. I'm like, how do you deal with that? He's like, well, you can't uh, you can't get raped if you enjoy it. And I'm like, that's a good trick. I'll have to remember that. So mindset, maybe that's maybe that's a bad that's probably a bad. It's probably a bad analogy. I'm probably going to get canceled. Um, but mindset is is really uh nine tenths of it and then you build from there it's just little steps right getting your life in order um you know if you find yourself on on uh twitter calling a washed up uh libertarian leader a know nothing and a cock and a nobody cares about you and you're irrelevant if you find yourself on facebook calling an irrelevant person irrelevant um, that might be a sign that you ought to focus less on your external environment, focus more on the mirror. If you have that much time in the day to do that, you surely have time to hit the gym, to do something, uh, do an active service for someone in your community, to get involved in, you know, in creating something positive in your life. So, you know, there, there's a, a quote from, I went to this, um, this school in, uh, it, it was a training center, political training center in Virginia. And the founder said uh, something like this in volunteer politics, um, a, a builder can build faster than a destroyer can tear things down or something like that. And I think that's a generally a good rule of life for, for you. It's a good rule for life, right? I mean, uh, just build something, uh, build something, no matter who hates you. Don't, don't worry about fighting, um, people who are sniping at you, who are armchair quarterbacking you, who are, you know, focus on yourself and what you can do and, and don't get, get, um, pulled into being a reactionary of having to 
react to people who are <laughs> have nothing going on in their life and are just armchair quarterbacking you. I guarantee you um, the people that are uh, doing things aren't on uh, that, that you would look up to the kind of people that you would aspire to be aren't on, on social media, cutting other people down. So, and I need to take some of that advice myself because the tone of that started this whole thing probably wasn't the most constructive. So, you know, I, I think that that's a great way to let your viewer see where they can start taking personal responsibility and recognize where it is that they've abdicated it. Um, I love, I love being on the show today, Tim. Oh, did well, it, thank you. I love achieve what you wanted. It definitely achieved what I wanted. I mean, it's, I, I was going to do, I started doing a podcast on this yesterday and I just felt like an idiot talking into an empty computer screen, right? Just seeing my face looking back at me and I'm like, oh my God, I'm a, yeah. Anyways, it, it, I, I appreciate that. I, I do need to, I think I realize I need like a partner in crime when I do these podcasts. Uh, I do a lot of interviews, but, um, you know, I also want to do a lot more commentary on like what's going on in the world right now, what's on my mind, that sort of thing where I'm not interviewing people, but getting my own thoughts out. So I appreciate you coming on and being a sounding board for me. That was awesome. Thank you. Awesome. All right, guys, uh, please share the video with your friendly uh, populace. Um, <laughs> let them know it, this video was done out of love. It wasn't done out of, you know, I may, may come across blunt. Sometimes I get annoyed because I see people kicking themselves in their in their own junk. You know, I'm like, God damn it, guys. I see it with conservatives all the time. That's why there, there's that that saying michael malice came up with is uh conservatism is progressivism driving the speed limit and the way it's going right now i would say that populism is conservatism driving the speed limit which is progressivism driving the speed limit so populism is like maybe progressivism driving way under the speed limit but we don't need to be going in that direction at all we don't need the state involved in any of this the state leads to progressivism state leads to um authoritarianism we can move away from that. We can find ways to solve these problems ourselves, uh, but we can't do that by promoting the state and, and asking it to solve our problems or uh, running political campaigns where we uh, promise to, when we get elected that we will use the state to solve all your problems for you and fix mass migration and fix climate policy and fix it. No, uh, state's not gonna do any of that. And um, the only way we're gonna turn it around is from the bottom up, not the top down. Anyways, thank you so much, Lisa. Until next time, see you later. Looking forward to it.